0: Okay, so we're doing a series called The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this week is called Look at the Stars. I am not going to sing Coldplay. So last week we were stirred to believe that, um, that we're part of a God's uh, global vision. That look up at uh, God's big vision. God called Abraham to that he would have a although he was childless to have a son. Uh, an offspring, uh, an heir who would bless every tribe and tongue and nation of the world. And we finished with this, By faith, God first called, when called to go to every tribe, neighbourhood and nation, we obeyed and went, even though we did not know where we are going. By faith, God first lived with an eternal perspective, with our time and talents and treasure, for they were looking forward to a glorious church, who's architect and builder is God. And, and it's really interesting that in the week that we've had that, that we need to make sure that that's our, that's our focus, that we're looking at God's big purpose on the earth, that we're looking at bo- God's big gospel story on the earth, and that we're not thrown by referendums and stuff. I mean, I was quite shocked by the result. You know, you, you start to see the financial markets go down, you start to see share prices go down. I haven't got any shares, so, you know, in that sense, but I yeah, know I have got a pension. You start to look at all these things, and you can easily become anxious and so it's great that Paul uh, said, you know, mentioned that we we're, we're inheriting this kingdom that can't be shaken, this unshakable, unstoppable, indestructible King Jesus who's who rules everything. And at times of challenge, whether it's national challenge or even personal challenge, You know, we really need to make sure that our feet are really firmly founded on God and his promises and not on our circumstances. Because circumstances go up and circumstances go down. And we're going to see in this passage today, as we continue the story of Abraham, he's just had a good spell. But yet he hits a, a kind of a period of doubt, a period of uncertainty, and 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 but God comes to him again and reassures him. And I want God to come to us again this morning and lift our faith. It's quite a long reading from Genesis 15. I, it will be on the screen behind you. Uh, I'll pr- I'll pray and then we'll go to work. Lord Jesus, we pray as we look at Abraham, the father of all who believe. We look at how you took him from a pagan, self-satisfied self-centred background, and caught him up in your great story. Lord, I pray as we look at some of his questions and some of his wobbles and how you incredibly, amazingly, beautifully answer those, I pray that you would put faith in you, in us, again this morning. I pray in Jesus' name. Okay, so let's read. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham, I am your shield and your very great reward. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me, since I remain childless, and the one who inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abraham said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He brought him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring or your seed be. Abram believed God and he counted it to him as righteousness. The Lord said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But, Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know? that I shall gain possession of it. So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these and cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, know for certain, that for four hundred years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, that they will be enslaved and ill treated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out as my uh, great possession, or come with come out with great possessions, or my great possession. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried in a good old age. In the fourth generation your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking brazier and a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, "To your descendants, I give this land from the uh, river of the, uh, from Egypt, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. The land here we go. The land of the Canaanites, Kenazites, Kadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Gergesites, and Jebusites." Amen. Okay, so we get this after this, after this, uh, it's obviously, what's happened in 14, we ended kind of last week with what happened in 14, what's happened in 14, there's been a battle, Uh, Abraham, uh, Abraham's nephew Lot has been kidnapped and he's been taken, and there's a, there's a kind of SAS SWAT team goes into kind of extraction team, 380 kind of, of Abram's men go in to get Abram's uh, nephew Lot, and they defeat the, the kings, and they come back with loads of plunder. So in one sense, you should think, wow, this is a, a, an amazing high. But more than that, Abram meets uh, Jesus, he meets this guy called Melchizedek who uh, uh, the writers of the Hebrews described as the king of peace, uh, the king of Salem, without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God. And he he meets Melchizedek, and and Melchizedek, this Jesus character, breaks bread with him and drinks wine with him, I guess shows him the gospel, it says in Galatians. Abram rejoiced at those days. So it should be this amazing high. Abram's won victories. He's been shown the gospel. It's this amazing high. But there's this doubt and questioning, in his mind, he responds very well, he gives, Ab- uh, he gives Melchizedek, he gives him g- g- a tenth of all his money, and the king of Sodom tries to make a contract with him, and says, okay, let's share the plunder, you have the, you have the people, I can't remember which, which way it goes, he says, give me the people and keep the goods, keep the goods for yourself, so the plunder of this battle says, let's make a, a deal with the king of Sodom, we'll find out later on that the king of Sodom is a bit of a bad guy, so he's not a good idea, but, but he's basically offered this contract, I'll give you this, you give me this. Uh, why don't we do that? And he says this amazing thing. He says, I will not, I will accept nothing belonging to you. Not even a thread or a strap of a sandal so that you'll never be able to say, I've made you rich. Abraham's money in that sense has told the story of his life. He's given his tenth to, to Melchizedek, says it's all yours. Melchizedek has blessed him. Uh, uh, Jesus has blessed him. But the world says, take my money, take my money, compromise. He says, I'm not having your money, I'm trusting God. So it's in one sense this a really amazing high. Abraham's troubled. He's surrounded by all these enemy enemies: the Kenites, the Kenazites, the Cadmonites, Kadmon, uh, the Hittites, the Perizzites, Raphites, Amorites, Canaanites, Gergesites. He's surrounded by loads of enemies, and he looks at his wealth. So he's got no land in that sense. He's been promised this massive bit of land, but he's got no land. He's just surrounded by enemies. He's just got the bit he's living on, and he's been promised a son, and he's, he's got money. But he's not satisfied with his money. He he wants a son, and so we get this interaction between Abraham and God. Uh, And and I think it's sometimes that we can feel sometimes when we meet God, when we encounter God, or we're Christians, we can we can feel the same thing as Abraham. We can say, God, you promised me this, or you've said that to me, but where is it? I'd like to see the the reality of it. I'd like to see the substance of it. So, if you're single, you might say, "Well, you know, God, you promise. You you know, I feel that you promised me a a wife or a husband. Where's, where, where where is it?" Or you might be saying, "You know, "Um, uh, 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 what about this job? Or what about this? Or what about this? God, you promised me this." You might even say, "As a church, look, you know, God, you've got big promises. Where is it?" And it's easy to ask those questions of God, but the way that God responds is brilliant. He, 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 someone called the Word of the Lord appears to him. Said The Word of the Lord appeared to Abraham in a vision. And, and he makes promises to him. This Word of the Lord, this visible Word of the Lord who appears to him. It's not, it's not like a scroll, I don't think, that appears to him. It's actually a Word of the Lord. It's someone who appears to him because he calls him Sovereign Lord. He calls him Sovereign Lord. This is, a, this is someone who is of the Lord and who is the Lord and is the Word of the Lord. Now, if you've been to church at all, you know who this guy is, don't you? He's the hero of every story. Who is it? It's Jesus, isn't it? Because what John's uh, gospel uh, begins with, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. Here's the, here's the Word of the Lord. Here's God, here's Jesus coming to Abraham again. You know, even though he's just met, had this encounter with Melchizedek, Abraham's worried and, and Jesus brilliantly, wonderfully comes to him again and makes these, these incredible promises to him. And it's funny. With we can think about Jesus. I don't know if you, you sometimes hear this phrase in church that Jesus is our substitute. And and I don't know if you think about substitutes. Here's this guy who's forever on the bench. Uh, it's Jack Wilshire of Arsenal. He he is the he. he <laughs> what's that? Arsenal. Sorry. Uh, yeah. He's always on the bench. He's always injured. And you can imagine the situation where sort of the the, the the way the story goes in the Bible that Jesus is the substitute. He sits on the bench all through the first half he's twiddling his thumbs, he's, he's, he's waiting to get on the pitch, and, and as, as the kind of second half moves on, they think, right, let's bring on Jesus. And Jesus comes on, and he scores the winning goal, and then everybody cheers, and then he's back, and then they, 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 he's off. If they take him back off, the, he's back on the bench and the team kind of plays out the rest of the match. And we can feel like Jesus just comes on for those 33 years and play the game. But actually, no, he's right there at the kickoff with Abraham. He's right there at the kickoff off when, when the world's been created. He's there with Abraham. He's obviously there coming to, in, in his death and resurrection to score this winning goal. But now, he's not, off, he's not out of the game. He's still in the game with us. And we can act... As if Jesus isn't bothered. Uh, Jesus says, don't worry about your life. He said, you know, doesn't God know if two sparrows fall to the ground? So not one sparrow falls to the ground. Aren't you worth more than a sparrow? And, and we can get this idea as if God doesn't care. I sometimes can feel like, you know, there's so many Christians, so many people. How can God be in the least bit interested in me? It's all right with Abraham. He does that kind of thing with Abraham. But how can he be interested in me? How can he be interested in my stuff, my small stuff, my store wall? But actually, Jesus says, no, he is God is intimately interested. Jesus is proactively interested in our lives, just like Abraham. And when we worry and when we say, I don't know what's going to happen in my world, Jesus comes to us and reassures us, just as he does to Abraham. And what he says to Abraham is brilliant. He says, I am your. I mean, that is amazing. I am. That's the name of God. It's I am who I am. It's Yahweh. I am. Yours, so I'll read it from the slide, said, I am, is the transcendent, the awesome creator, the mighty sovereign ruler of the universe, so glorious, I couldn't find a picture, so glorious, you can't find a picture, so glorious that he has to say to Abraham, don't be afraid. So he's this massive cosmic God, that I am, but he's also yours. I am your. He's the close up and personal, the wonderfully uh, imminent God who comes close to us, who's interested in our lives. And it's just brilliant that in the middle of this moment, there's these big big cosmic promises, but yet they're worked out in a really micro detail in Abram's life. And God is both of those. I am yours. I am your shield and your great reward. Um, Abram is obviously surrounded by loads and loads of enemies. And he needs a shield. I know that we need a shield. This is um, Captain America, but what's wrong here? He hasn't done his paint job on his shield. It's the early days. Captain America, realising he's a superhero, and he's got this shield, and he kind of hides behind the shield. But what you do, if you watch the Captain America films, this shield is much more than just, let's be on the defensive. This is an offensive weapon. You know, it's a frisbee at times. And he's kind of doing all this, and he's like, I am your shield. And Jesus says to Abraham, I am your shield. I am this one who's going to protect you. You feel everything's pushing against you. Everything's happening. Look at the secularization of Britain. Look at the world. Look at the kind of isolationism. Look at the racism. Look at the the, the greed. Look at the kind of uh, ISIS, the rise of Islam. And we think, oh God, but he said, I am your shield. I am your battle shield. We sing that, you are my battle shield. He's our shield. He's in. come on, you kind of tuck him behind me. And and he's the one that goes into battle. And you know what a shield does? It takes the blows that are due to you. You know where we go? We go there every week. He takes the blows that's due to you. I am your battle shield. And I need him. You know, I am not his armour bearer. He's mine. I mean, in a strange thing, so no, because, but you know, the, the greater, the armor bearer is less. But yet, here's, here's Jesus. He's our shield carrier. He's our armor bearer. And we kind of tuck him behind him. Jonathan and, and his armor bearer. Let's see what we can do. His armor bearer says, Come on, do whatever's in your heart, Jonathan. That's what Jesus says to us. Come on, God first. Do what's ever in your heart. Let's believe. Let's, let's take some battles. Let's take some ground. He's our shield. Our security is not in whether we got this building. I said this last week. It's not in our bank account, whether it's up or down, personal or church. It's not in our numbers. Oh, my word, where is everybody this week? It's not in the, in the leaders. Oh, well, we trust Howard. We'll trust Andy or Tom. We trust, we trust the worship leaders. We trust these people. Well, if, if we had these gifted people, we'd be fine. No. Well, our trust isn't in them. They're not our shield. We're all hiding behind him, the great warrior, the one who goes into battle. was our shield. I am yours. I'm your shield, Zoe. I'm your shield. I don't know your name, but I'm your shield. I'm your shield, Paul. And he says, I am your great reward. We had a great time in our group uh, this week, in the, uh, the G1C this week, and we're looking at some stuff, uh, a series, and we were looking this week at the things that we put our trust in other than God. And, and one of the questions we had to ask is, you know, what, what truly satisfies you? Where do you go to to look for satisfaction? Well, we know the kind of answer should be, well, I'll go to Jesus. But actually, as we started to talk and we split into small groups, we're starting to also, say, well, actually, you know, I'd, I'd feel, if this happened, I'd feel satisfied, or if that happened, I'd feel satisfied, or if this breakthrough happened, or we, I got that. And the, bo- the bottom line is well, that we're often looking for some other reward. So when he says, I am your shield and your reward, he's saying, I'm your reward. He's the one we want. He's the one that we're looking for. He's the one that he's our everything. We sing we 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 there's a song I don't know if we sing it here but there's a thing that Jesus you're my everything. You're my everything. I can't even do it. It doesn't sound like a song does it? But you know the one. You're my everything and you can sing it. And then you go out into the world and you act like he's not your everything. You act like something else is the thing. Some sin or some thought or some thing that you'd want or some unfulfilled dream. You are really my everything. But Jesus is saying right at the beginning. Now, for me, that should have been enough. It really should have been enough. But uh, Abraham he's, hes a cheeky boy, actually. He is a cheeky boy. He says stuff to God, you think. That, how dare you do that? Abraham says, yes, yeah, sovereign Lord. You know, you are the sovereign ruler of the universe. But what can you give me? You are everything, but you've nothing you can give me. We can do that with God. You are my everything, but this one thing you haven't given me, so really you're, you might, I might as well... I call you sovereign God, but really I'm not acting like you are. He says, you haven't given me. I remain childless. He's been promised he's going to have a child, but yet he's childless. You haven't delivered. God, you haven't delivered. The, the, since I remain childless, and the one who inherit my state is Eliezer of Damascus. He's obviously probably a servant that he's picked up on the journey through, from Pada through through Syria. He's picked up this servant, and this servant in his house, and I don't know why this particular servant is going to be the one who inherits, but Abraham's got no kids, so his it's, it's stuff, small amount of stuff that he's got, is going to go to this servant. And he says, and, and, and then he says, and you've given me no... You've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. What can you give of me? You've given me no. I think we do that to God. It's shocking, isn't it? He appears to him, the word of the Lord, the one who is going to be his offspring, made flesh. He appears to him and he goes, well, what can you give me? What can you give me? You know, I'm looking for something else and you do not deliver. What can you give me? it's it's shocking, if I was God I'd say, well I can give you this, bang, (laughs) you cheeky, (laughs) you know, whatever, however we do it, obviously you're not allowed to punish your children in that way these days, so thankfully that was just a visual aid, but you know, I'd say, well how dare you cheeky so and so, what on earth are you talking about? Do you realise what I've done for you? And I'd be arguing, look, Abraham, I've done this for you and I've done this for you. You are nothing. You are useless. I've chosen you. You're hopeless. What, you know, quit complaining. That's what we would do. But he doesn't do that, does he? He doesn't do that. We're moaning. He says, oh, I want a wife, I want a husband, I want children, I want good health, I want this, I want that. And actually, God first, sometimes I think I can do that. I can forget who's in charge here. So, so one of the things that we're really having to face the facts with in this church is, where are the people who aren't Christians? Where are the people becoming Christians? They're not here. Now, if you're a visitor this morning, you think, well, it's small numbers and numbers becoming Christian. I'll find a church down the road. And every time a church down the road or a church that I know baptise people, you know, and they put it on social media, I always like it. I think, thank God. Thank God. But in one sense, why are we childless? we're childless. You know, there'll be, we'll, as we go through the series, there'll be more about this, but God first, we're childless. And we can look at God and say, you're the sovereign God, but you can't do that. You can't save my neighbour, you can't save my family member, you can't save my friend, my work, host, you can't do that. And we think it's impossible for God. So I had, Meal with my extended family, lovely meal there, pretty wealthy, so that's nice. Ex- meal with my extended family, and um, I hadn't seen my cousin for 14 years. Uh, and uh, he was involved in investment banking, two big houses, <coughs> pots and pots and pots of money, but he's deeply unhappy. And he wants his, that fits the stereotype, doesn't it, that we'd say in here. I've got re- lots of others in my family have got pots of money and they're not bothered at all. But but I, but I was just praying, God, just let me have a conversation with Him. And, I, and as I'm having the conversation, I'm I'm asking myself the question because this sermon's in my head. Could God could God change Him? All the years He's not interested. All the years he's just do that. Could God change Him? And he, we had a great conversation. He said, "Howard, you seem you seem energized." I said, "Oh, it's a lot of my job that's boring, <laughs> and a lot of job that stuff that's just routine." I said, "But you know, when I'm." Talking about Jesus, there's nothing better. I'm energised by that. I love that. And he said, well, are you trying to just tell people what to do? And I said, no, I'm trying to get them to fall in love with Jesus. And he hasn't really got a clue what church is like. But I think, do we go into circumstances? Do we go into circumstances and say, God, you can't do that for me? You can't do that for me. Abram's worried. He's not got a son. And, his, uh, and a, the one who's going to inherit his state is a servant. But the word of the Lord, verse 4, says, the word of the Lord came to him. We know who this is. Jesus comes to him again. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. I think it's obvious. You know, there's big words in there. I think I've highlighted them up. A son made flesh and blood. It, 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 the, the staggering thing, he's thinking, I am going to have an offspring and here's Jesus in front of him, who is going to be his offspring 14 generations later. This is his offspring. This is the promised one. But he can't see it. He doesn't really see it. It's beautifully ironic. But it's almost as if God thinks, well, you know, Abraham, the father of all who believe, needs to have his faith enlarged. So I love what he does. So he tells him all these promises and he thinks so it's, it's just not working, it's not landing, it's just bouncing off. Like so, so sometimes you can hear a sermon, it just bounces off. God is amazing, God is great, God can save the world, it just bounces off. So God does something really beautiful. He says, He brought him outside. Now, those words brought him aren't just thrown away in there because we know he's also done what before? Brought him out of Ur. It's almost the same thing that happened when I made you a Christian. I want you to experience that faith again. I'm going to take you outside. And also, he's, he's kind of thinking, well, you know, what I need is my tent full of crying babies. And we're going to have some crying babies uh, coming up. We've got about three natural births coming up. But, you know, we think, I want, some, I, want a, I want my tent full of a crying baby. But yet, he takes him outside the tent so no, you're thinking far too small. It's not just about one baby in this tent. Let's get some perspective on what I'm going to do. And he says, look up at the stars. He says, look up at the stars and count them. Count them. And I, it's a brilliant kind of illustration because I don't, I'd love to... I don't, has everybody, anybody ever seen a sky kind of like that? If you've, been, Yeah, I guess if you live in the States. <laughs> but where we live in kind of light polluted Great Britain, we don't see stars, stars like that. But I'd love to go to a place where the stars... You just see so many stars. You know, it's, it's kind of awe-inspiring. And I think imagine he just says, well, Abraham, just start to count. I mean, where, It's ridiculous, isn't it? Where, where do you start to count? And he says, look, this is how many kids you're going to have. This is how many your offspring are going to be. This is how many people of faith you're going to have. It's kind of staggering. And we know from the science, don't we, from one singleton point, whatever you believe about creation story, let's go with me, but, but science would say from one singleton point of of, of kind of compressed mass. Boom. Millions and millions of stars. From one seed, from Jesus Christ, from your descendants, 14 generations, boom. Millions and millions of believers. And you said, I can't count it. I can't count it. I, I'm, I'm sure he... I don't know whether he would have wept or whether he would have started counting, but he just sees the ridiculous nature of his unbelief. And God, first, we need to do the same. We need to look out at the stars and believe for more. Whatever we're believing for, we need to believe for more. On a Sunday like this, we need to believe for more. We need to not say, "Well, we stop believing when the students are back or when everyone's here." No, we, we need to keep believing for more. We need God to, to do that. I think He's doing that with me. I think He's doing that with us. He's take to, cut, taking us by the arm, as it were, and leading us outside and saying, "Now, come on, look up. What are you believing for? What are you believing for? Can you believe me, the God who made all this out of nothing?" He says this wonderful statement. It says, "Abraham believed the Lord." And God counted it to him as righteousness. It's almost like you know these big hands that you, that you can get when you go to concerts and, and things. You know these big finger hands like that. I don't. I, has anyone ever worn one of those? People? Some, of few people had them at Coldplay, and I said, get them down, get them out of my. No, I didn't. But they got these big hands, and it's almost like this verse, this moment in the Bible that, that the, got, the the writers like to take a big hand and go, doot, 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 here, look here, nine times. A couple of times in the Old Testament, but lots of times in the New Testament, the Gospel righteousness say This is what it means to trust God. And you think, Well, that's ridiculous because Abraham didn't really trust God at all. So, but I thought about this. I think that, again, the Bible doesn't waste a word. While Abraham's counting the stars, God, can you do it? One, two, three. He's counting, counting, counting. What's God doing? Counting him as like his son counting him as righteousness. It's brilliant. He's saying, he's saying it's like a wedding. He's almost saying that what, what, what's going to happen is like a wedding. You're going to bring all your messed up, crazy unbelief. You're going to bring your sin, your failure, your trust in other things. You're going to bring that to the wedding and I'm going to bring something to the wedding. So when you say I will in a wedding, you're saying I want to do life with you. I want to be with you, united with you. The bride and groom, can kind I of take hands out there and the exchange rings and make this promise? All that I am, I give to you. And all that I am, I share with you. Now, what's what's really interesting? If you go to a wedding, lots of wedding these days. The, some of the guys that are getting married have just graduated, and they say, "All that I am, I share with you." Imagine when Zach gets married or something. All that I am, I share with you. Forty-five thousand pounds worth of student debt. That's, that's I'm bringing that to the table. And the other one says. All that I am I share with you, 45,000 (laughs) pounds. Say, no, no, please, have all that I am. (laughs) No, 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 really, have all that I am, really, really, really. And you put it together, you think, oh man, the maths. (laughs) But that's what it's like when we come, we come to Jesus and we say, all that I am I bring to you, 45,000 pounds, 56 years of stupidness and sinfulness and brokenness, and I bring that to him. And he says, okay, I'll count that as mine. And I'm going to pay it off on the cross. I'm going to pay the debt on the cross. I'm going to pay it all off for you. And all that's mine, I'm going to give to you. The Bible in this phrase calls it righteousness. He it says he counted, it, counted him as righteous. In other words, it's what it's saying is, what God the Father thinks about Jesus, I'm now going to think about you. Righteous, perfect, spotless, without fault in any way. Never looked at false gods, never turned away. Faithful, true, loved by the Father. Access to the Father to say, Father, Abba, Father. Jesus says, oh, that's that's mine. I'm going to give it to you. I think Abraham is absolutely staggered by this great (laughs) exchange. I mean, it's not a contract. It's not a contract I think I've got a slide there somewhere. I don't know if it's in the order. There's a, the difference between a contract and a covenant. Marriage is a covenant. Marriage is this relational covenant that says whatever. It says it's, it's a moral agreement that's overseen by God, but it's based on the trust between two people and God. It's accepted to embrace unlimited responsibility. It's permanent and seeks joy through mutual sacrifice. It says whatever you, whatever you do, I'll be faithful to you. Name me. I promise to love you. I promise to love you. And whatever you do, Naomi, I promise to love you. That's what a covenant is. It says, if you're unfaithful, I will still be faithful. A contract is, is agreement between two people. It's based on mistrust. It's, it's great to limit the liability. It's got opt-out clause and terminations. And, and, and it demands, you meet my needs, I meet yours. So, Nami, you cook my food and, and I might lift my head from the laptop for ten minutes. you know she 's not getting the best of the deal <laughs> all the time, you know but that 's a kind of a contract isn 't it or you can think god 's like this well i 'll come to church for on a Sunday, well, maybe every now and then, or every one Sunday in three i 'll pop along here uh, for an hour and a half, and, and that 'll be my bit, and then you could do this for me, God, could you give me jobs? Could you do this? could you bless prosper and we think it 's a contract, but actually. It's a covenant. It's more like a, a marriage. And, and, and so when, when God says to Abraham, I, you believe, he's been given that faith from God anyway. He says, you believe me and I will make you like my, like my son. It's a, it's a covenant word. But, but the thing is, he doesn't, doesn't get it. He doesn't understand. He says, he says but... It's a dangerous word, but Abraham said, he's got that word again, sovereign Lord, how can I know I'm going to get this? You've promised me righteousness as a gift, how can I know I'm going to get it? How am I going to possess it? How is it going to be in my hands? And, and, and it's almost like as if Abraham's got these big wobbles. It says in Romans, it says, without wavering in his faith, Abraham believed God. Because when I read Genesis, I think he's wavering in his faith all the time. He's up, down, he doesn't know what he's doing, he's making mistakes. But it's funny how God sees us. Because he's counting us as righteous, he sees him as unwavering. But when you look in Genesis, he's wavering, he doesn't know what to say, he doesn't want to do. And he's saying, but God, how can I have this? How can I know that you're good on your words? And he promises him some stuff about land and people. But there's a bigger thing going on here. It's, and it looks a little bit like a wedding ceremony. I, I, I love wedding ceremonies when when they, they you down the aisle you put stuff, don't you? So here's some nice flowers. Balloons are a bit more masculine, I feel, but you know that you put something down the aisle, don't you? You, the, you know lights. Nobody really does a wedding and doesn't put anything down the aisle. Uh, and and it's like a wedding. What we're going to hear about is a bit like a wedding. There's an aisle, and somebody, a smoking brazier and blazing torch, walk down the middle and promise. And the summary of this promise that God makes is, I will be your God and you'll be my people. But you think, yeah, well, it's not really like a wedding because what are all these dead bodies doing? You know, it's like the aisle is lined with dead bodies. You think, oh, man, this is just bizarre. Imagine you went to a wedding in a few weeks' time and there was half a bull, half a ram, half a, you know, half, what is it? Heifers, pigeons, one on each side, you know, a goat. You know, you're walking through this bloody thing and you think, oh man, what's going on here? This is weird. This is weird. But actually, it is a wedding. It is like a covenant wedding. These animals were all the animals that would be cut in half or sacrificed later on in, 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 the, in Jerusalem, in the temple. These are all the animals that would die in place of the people for their sin. They say, you know, if you sin, put your hands on this ram and, and kill it and offer it as a sacrifice. If you do this, then take a bull, offer it as a sacrifice. Two pigeons, take it. as a Do this as a... It's so all these kind of animals from the, from the, that, that we're going to find in the Bible that are kind of sacrificed... For, for human sin, and, and, but yet they're there right at the beginning, they're, they're kind of there, and they're lining this aisle. And what's going to happen is, that they, they're doing a covenant, now what used to happen is, the kings of the, the Near East used to make covenants, and, and the way they did it, is that they would, they would say, sacrifice an animal or do something, and then say, we agree together, that if you break your part of this, this is what will happen to you. We'll cut you in half, tear you apart, if you don't keep your part of the deal. And so, you know, we kind of do it when we're kids, don't we? You know, you you ever done that, uh, I will not tell a lie, how's it go? Cross your heart and hope to die? And we don't really mean it, do we? We don't really mean like, yeah, if I tell a lie, I haven't really stolen your football cards or whatever it is. Kill me. But actually, in these covenant things, it's deadly serious. They're saying... The kings were saying to those who had conquered, they been conquered or other kings, if you break your word, if you're not faithful to this, we're going to tear you apart. And they would stand between the two kings or the two parties who would stand between and make this covenant. If I don't come through for you, you can tear me apart. If you don't come through for me, I can tear you apart. This covenant is only one party. There's only God, smoke and fire. We find that later on in the in the in the in the old in the Old Testament that, that God is a, a pillar of cloud and a, a pillar of fire. We we find that only only God walks down the aisle. Only God walks between the animals. What's Abraham do? what's Abram doing? He says he's asleep. He fell into a and the words here are important, he fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. When you get those words dreadful darkness, it means judgment's about to happen. Judgment's about to happen. In this darkness, dreadful darkness, fearful darkness, scary darkness, judgment's about to happen. And Abraham falls into this deep sleep almost as if he's dead. And what he does is he represents us. We're dead, we're unable to participate in any agreement with God. We're really not unable. All we're deserving is to be cut apart already. So Abraham is in this darkness, asleep. And God walks down the aisle and he says, I will be your God and you be my people. If I'm not faithful to my word, to be your God, to love you and care for you and bless you and be faithful to you and keep my word to you, you can tear me apart. But you need to know I'm God and I never lie. But this is the amazing thing. He says, Abraham... Abraham's children, Abraham's descendants, those who believe in Abraham, if you don't keep your part to be my people, I'm not going to tear you apart. I'll be torn apart. Abraham cannot keep... There's no chance that Abraham can keep this covenant. But yet God walks down between the animals and says, if I don't come through for you, you can tear me apart. And Abraham, if you don't come through... You can tear me apart. And there's a great day. There's a great day coming where the word of the Lord, the sovereign Lord, turns up on the cross. It's a day of dreadful darkness. And his body is torn apart. Not because he didn't keep his... Promised to be our God but because we didn't believe him we didn't trust him, we weren't faithful, we were broken and flawed and sinful and God on the cross, Jesus God made flesh the seed of Abraham is torn apart on the cross I think the moon turned to blood in the darkness it talks about in Amos and the moon will be turned to blood in that terrible day of the Lord, that dreadful darkness day of the Lord. When Peter preaches it later in Acts, they all remember what Amos said about God's judgment, and they almost remember, oh yes. I remember that day just three or four weeks ago, the day of darkness where the moon was turned to blood. But I also, and I, I don't know if, if this is right or not, but just bear with me. There's all the stars. In the darkness, as all the stars. And what's happening is, as under the stars with Abraham, so under the stars with us, God is crediting to us his righteousness. I'm going to call you my sons and daughters. I'm going to give you my unfailing Love, I'm going to make you spotless and righteous in my sight. I'm going to call, you can call me daddy. You can come right into my presence. You can be loved by me. Count the stars if you can. But while you're counting, I'm crediting to you righteousness. He stretches out his arms, doesn't he, and says, I will. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But not my will, but your will. I will, I will, all that I am I give to you, and all that I have I share with you. If we're tempted to ask, God will you come through for me? Will you deliver on your promises? Do you really love me? What about my situation? What about my life? What about the state of the world? What about the church? Do you re- can you really come through? Can you really deliver You you haven't given me this, and you haven't given me that, and that's not come through. When you're looking and asking the question, does God really come through for you? Will he really do it? Then we need to do this afresh, what we're going to do. If you're not a Christian, then you need to look at God and say, I bring all my debt, and I'd love your righteousness to come to me. Take my debt, my brokenness, my sin, take it away. All my debt. Righteousness, pour it on me. But if you're a Christian, let's not look anywhere else for reassurance. Let's not look anywhere else to say, does God love me? Is he for me? Will he keep his word? Will he do what he said? Will he see people become Christians? Will, will the church grow? Will, will the nations come to him? Will, will all the world be blessed through him? Will, the, uh, will Abraham, the promise to Abraham that be the heir of the world, will it come to Jesus? And the answer is yes, because we look at that moment when new creation broke in, when he counted to us righteous. So we're going to break bread now, but I just want to ask you to, to just stand a moment before we do that. I just want to ask you if you've, if you've felt, you know, God, it's all very well, but what about this? You've not delivered that for me. What about this situation? You've not come through for me. You promised me this, but it's not there. And you've looked elsewhere. And you've satisfied yourself elsewhere. And you thought, he's not kept his side of the bargain, so I'm not keeping mine. And you've gone to idols and false gods and false places and sinned. You've said, you're my everything, but there's nothing really I want from you. If you've done that at times, I just want to ask you to just raise your hand and just repent. Say to Jesus, I'm sorry, I'm doing that. We just pray for you, Lord, we're sorry. We're sorry we've doubted you. We're sorry we've got our head down, stuck in the tent and saying, give me this. Lord, I just pray for everybody with their hand up, even if it's just me. I pray, put your arm around me. Take me outside and show me your magnificent, glorious promises. And I pray, let enlarge my faith. Enlarge our faith, O oh God, that we would believe you. Where we're childless as a church, we say, we believe you, God. We believe you for, for tens and hundreds and thousands. It, it, it sounds ridiculous. Millions and billions. Lord, that's the stars. And we say, Lord, we're just like one right now. We say, make us childless. Give us the cry of newborn. We say, Lord, we look up the stars. and We believe you. Thank you that you've credited that to us as if we were just like Jesus. Lord, I pray as we break bread that we'd come and feed on you, the one who was torn apart for our unfaithfulness, to give us the rights of sons and daughters, perfect in God's eyes and loved by him. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk